Oh, welcome back, folks, to the In Defiance of Modern Society podcast. I was just typing in, you know, a few key words there into Spotify to find a, a song for this this episode, and uh, the Three Nights by Dominic Fight came up. I was like, yeah, whatever, it's a fun song. So, um, but what I was typing in was movement is medicine which we'll get into here on my musings as I wander through life in search of God, wisdom, and truth in what I truly feel is a lost civilization. And I'll admit, I'm lost too. We all are. We're all lost just trying to walk each other home. Well, we're trying to find that home. And I I thank you for joining us today. And I always say us and we because I didn't put this together myself. This is... A confluence of knowledge and experience and expertise that I have gained over my 37 plus years of, of being here in this realm, in this physical body. And, you know, it takes time. You know, this isn't just me. I have stolen and snagged and grabbed and, and, and took from everybody else who came before me. And if I didn't share that and I just said, oh, hey, this is what I came up with, I'd be a giant liar. Because... Yes, you might come up with a unique idea, thought, but even the book Ecclesiastes says it. There's nothing new under the sun. I mean, what truly is new? And that's where people talk about technology. And, well, when you start to do true research into our history, you start to see some pictures that you make you you wonder. They had segues back in the 1800s? Go look that up. Let you do a little research on your own. Because you have to see it for yourself. You have to want to find the truth. Because if somebody shows it to you and you're not ready for it, you're not going to see it. And it's interesting, I talk about movement is medicine in this episode. Because I remember when I first was introduced to the paleo aspect of, of nutrition. Which paleo, for those that don't know, it's a way of eating that is has its methodology based around us basically being hunter-gatherer, cavemen-esque individuals. You know, if, if, you're, if you can't find it in the, in the wild, then you don't put it into your body, such that you eat meat, fat, some fruit, some nuts, probably very little vegetable because I'll make the argument that you not, you're not going to go out into the wild and find some cauliflower. You're not going to find some broccoli out in the wild. You're just not. You know, and maybe a little bit of honey. Well... I, that's how I started my healing journey, you know, 10 years ago. And I actually remember the first time somebody mentioned paleo to me. It was one of my, my girlfriend at the time, uh, Sarah Chiz. We were at uh, Western Kentucky University. It was around 2006. So six years before I started the paleo journey. Maybe even sooner. It might have been 2005. Uh, so... You know, she brought up how this one person over in Britain was only eating, like, the, the, I remember this, the skins of apples, but then, like, wasn't eating pasta. And I was like, no, no, you're wrong, you're wrong. And that's where I had that Mr. Smith effect come out of me. I was just defending something that I really had never done research into, but defended blindly. You know, so when you start to search for truth, you got to do it on your own. You got to want to do it. And if you're on this podcast, I, this is forewarning. We're searching for truth here. And then the more I get into this, this is the sixth episode. I'm very proud of myself for, you know, making it even this far, creating a new habit. We're getting into that third week where, you know, 21 days, if you, and I say 21 days, because if you do something for 21 days, it, it begins that habit that then will eventually potentially become a part of your lifestyle. So movement is medicine. Let's get into this. But first, if you're looking for details on the show, go to our Instagram page, In Defiance of Modern His- of Modern Society, uh, underscore between all the words, because you can't just have, you know, for some reason, a handle without a character. Um, but I do post some things on there every now and then, but then I also post show notes, you know, some of the songs that are in these episodes and then the Bible verses. So, you know, look us up over there, you know, and you know, say hi, drop a line, tell us how you liked the episode, you know, or how you did it, how you could improve, you know. You know I'm, I'm always looking for the best way to do something, because I'm not the best, but I want to be one of the best. So you have to be willing to take criticism, critique. You have to, be, you have to want to become better.
the least of all your problems. Well, I hope I am the least of all your problems today. So as we get into this episode, I want to leave you, I want to start you off with a little thought. A will-built physique. It's a symbol of health. It's a status symbol. It reflects you worked hard for it. No money can buy it. You cannot inherit it. You cannot steal it. You cannot rob it. You cannot hold on to it without consistent work. It shows dedication. It shows discipline. It shows self-respect. It shows dignity. It shows patience, work ethic, and passion. Now, yes, a a well-built physique isn't necessarily the gold standard on overall mental, physical, and spiritual health, but someone that puts their time into taking care of their body, they're probably going to be taking care of their body in many different ways, whether you realize it or not. Now, yes, there are those that you can see in the gym that, wow, they've really defined, they're, they're nice and big, but you can tell they're probably a meathead. But let's try not to judge books by their covers. What is movement as it pertains to medicine? You know, we, we must define the term movement before we add it to medicine, you know, which we'll define shortly, but movement is the actual, the noun, uh, the noun of the verb move. It's an action to pass from one place or position to another, to go from one place of residence or another, to advance or progress, to have regular motion, such as in a machine, to start off or to leave. Move, it's an action. You have to, you have to go from one place. You have to take a step. You can't just stay still. Now, movement you know, it's the act, the process of moving, you know, a particular manner or style of moving, an abundance of events, which I, I think that term's interesting, you know, because you can have a life of abundance if you just move. You know, movement of people to gather, to make change such that we are currently seeing around the world, but moves, you know, specifically such that up at the you know, capital of Canada and Ottawa, there's a movement of people working to enact change. They're trying to do it peacefully. And they're coming together. Now, the key word in all this is change. That movement, when applied appropriately, can, po- can cause positive change. For yes, we can change through movement, but we want controlled change. And we must have a direction you know, with a goal in mind for that change that we wish to occur. You know, we don't want to just blindly, hey, I'm just going to run today and well, do nothing else with it. Well, you run, but why are we running? Well, we're working on our vascular system. Well, you know, I want to, you know, go do some pull-ups so I can work on, you know, my pulling strength so that in case I ever have to lift up, you know, a, a person off the ground such that I did a few weeks back. When my stepmom fell down, I had to help her get up. You know, those are dead, deadlifts, deadlifts and pull-ups. I, I, those are my favorite moves, deadlifts and pull-ups. It's pulling. I love pulling. I just, you know, I do. You know, and then I feel hockey is a little bit of an extension of that, you know, in a weird way, you know, when you start to look at biomechanics. But, you know, we got to have change that occurs in an appropriate direction. You know, so now we have a crude definition of movement. Now let's take a look at the word medicine, which this kind of surprised me. And you know, it's interesting doing this podcast because I go back to basically the basics. I'm becoming a child again, a beginner, and I'm learning things that, you know, I... Maybe I didn't truly know the full definition of. Now, and what, what is medicine? So I, I use dictionary.com and, you know, Merriam-Webster is the uh, gold standard, as you will. It's the second time I've used that term in this, in this episode. But Merriam-Webster and then dictionary.com, which, you know, it's the most trusted, you know, resource on the internet, whatever. It, it's pretty good. You know, and, and they define medicine as any substance or substances used in treating disease, illness. It's a remedy. You know, the second part, art or science of restoring or preserving health due to physical condition, you know, as it means of drugs, surgical operations, or appliances or manipulations. Divided into medicine proper, there's pharma. Medicine, it's divided into three parts. Medicine proper, which is basically pharmacology, you know, your, your basic you know, primary care physician. Surgeons, then obstetrics which is, you know, giving birth, which I'll make the argument. The only place where there's any happiness in a hospital is in the obstetrics ward. That's the only, but you, you have a newborn baby, you've got families, you've got people, which now obviously it's a little different. But I remember going in to see one of my buddies, uh, he, they gave birth to their second son. 
And it just, it felt different than the time that I was in the hospital or any other time I'd been in a hospital where it was just this dark feeling, this bad energy of just illness and disease and injury. But the obstetrics ward used to be a fun place to go, I guess. I mean, the world changes and, you know, they put everybody on lockdown in there. It it was actually kind of interesting. Mom and dad got bracelets and baby and it's, hey, I get it. World's changed. Anyway, back to medicine. The art or science of treating disease with drugs or curative curative substances as distinguished from surgery or obstetrics. So after we define medicine, it shows us that medicine is a retroactive approach. It's, it's, It's not preventative, which we'll get into in a minute. You know, now let's take a look at the term healthcare, which is a very similar definition. And I double checked this again with Marion Webster. You know, healthcare is the field concerned with the maintenance or restoration of health of body or mind, procedures, methods employed in that field. These are all retroactive approaches to health. This is in direct opposition to native to the native environment that we're set up for. For when we live in tune with nature, we have to move to survive. You have to move to hunt, to find water, to collect edible plant life. You know, fruits, which are intended to be eaten, you know, because a plant wants its seed to be spread from its original source. And as I already mentioned, you know, go find a vegetable in the wild. Not really going to happen that easily. You know, now I just mentioned something that if you do not, if you didn't catch it, I'll repeat and elaborate on. You must first move to find food. Which means if you're hungry, you know, when in nature, you always have to move before you eat. You know, we now live in a society that almost always feels hunger and then just, eh, we're going to eat without moving first. And this inhibits, you know, using food that we put into our bodies to repair muscle, to create hormones and repair the hormonal balance And instead, we just store the food. Again, another theory that I feel plays into the reason why we are so sick as a society. That we need to be more in tune with nature. That nature has shown us what we're supposed to do. We just have chosen not to out of comfort. Which comfort and suffering and comfort and discomfort, suffering and ease and dis-ease. And, you know, I really feel that We need to live a life of discomfort to have a life of health. You have to suffer. You have to die a little in your workouts. You have to die a little in the way you learn something. You have to shed your skin and become born again to grow. Another topic that needs to be discussed before we move on to movement as medicine is a look at the history of medicine in the U.S. Beginning in the early 1900s, there were over 400 medical schools. Lots of people trying to learn and become knowledgeable within the field of medicine and health and to take care of our human species. You know, because there were certain diseases popping up, illnesses popping up. You know, I say the term disease almost as if I'm using air quotes, and I know you can't see me because I'm not recording this, but disease, when you break it down into its root words, it's dis-ease. So you're not living a life of ease. You're disabled from that. So if you categorize yourself as having such and such disease, well, you've just basically eliminated your ability to be healthy. You've attached to a term that there's actually a lot of studies have shown if you work on rephrasing that, disappears. That all of a sudden, you aren't diseased anymore. You know, Dr. Joe Dispenza is another great physician who took a lot of meditative techniques and utilized them on even stage four cancer patients. Now, if you don't know anything about cancer, which kind of would shock me nowadays because it seems like one in two people have it. Again, that was actually a recent study. One in two people in the United States, as per the CDC, have one of 10 chronic diseases, cancer being one of them. So that means 50% of our population has a chronic 
disease. So anyway, I digress. Dr. Joe Dispenza took stage four cancer patients. Stage four meaning you're dead. Modern medicine can't heal you. He's taken stage four pancreatic cancer patients and put them through his programs and healed them. Now it took time. It didn't happen overnight. They had, to, they had to rework their entire life. The way it was all set up from the nutrition to the way they moved to the way they thought. And that's why health should be a holistic approach and it should be preventative, which we'll talk about here very shortly. But the way we've got it set up right now, you're going to be diseased to the day you die. And it started back in the 1900s. You know, they cut the medical schools down from 400 down to 76. Because there's a guy by the name of Abraham Flexner who took an unscientific report to Congress and stated there was quackery left and right. And this is where the, the degradation of holistic medicine in the United States began, such as homeopathy, um, things using herbs and movement as, as approach and, and medic, meditation, which again... You know, I'm working on trying to figure out how to, how to utilize meditation now after rediscovering God and Jesus in my life because there's a lot of debate on where that meditation practice comes from and is it truly satanic? It's a question that I'm trying to figure out how to answer. You know, but I think my, I asked my buddy, uh, Ryan Tower, and he said, you know, it's, it's what your wanted outcome is. If your wanted outcome is for you to become godly and and to do it for yourself, then yeah, that's the way of Satan. But if you're doing it to become closer with God and to, be, to lift him up and lift his image up and, and to better the world, then maybe it's got a place. And that's where I'm working on it. I don't know. I'm not perfect and I'm far from it. But again, you know, the, t- the title of this podcast is In Defiance of Modern Society. Modern society seems to be pushing some things that right as I've retouched to my lit- my. Sp- Religion, my Christianity, spiritual aspect, and it's tough to say because, you know, to just be like, hey, you know, I'm religious. Well, religion's created by man. Religion's not what we need. We need a an ability to touch our Creator, and to be in touch with our Creator, and that's where Christianity, which again has a many faults, but through Jesus Christ, we find God. So again, it's a discussion for a different day, but. Let's get back to the medical schools and the history of medical schools. You know, so early 1900s, we go from 476. We got this Abraham Flexner dude telling Congress, get rid of all these other schools, get rid of these quacks. You know, it has to be run by us, which, who was us? The us was the Rockefeller Foundation. Now, the Rockefeller Foundation, when you start doing research, they're not a great thing. They funded a lot of things during World War II for people over in Germany that you might question. And again, go do some research yourself. Now, the Rockefeller Foundation gets involved in these medical schools and funded not only the medical schools themselves, but funded the rise of petroleum-based pharmaceuticals and the schools to back them. So right now, we have the foundation to where they this organization and this family basically here in the United States use their monetary prowess to bias the entire structure of the medical system here in America. Not to mention, as I said, the eugenics research in Germany. Look that up. So now we have a system basically set up to create customers, not to heal, let alone prevent disease. Because a patient cured is a customer lost. And that's not beneficial for any insurance, pharmaceutical, or hospital in the healthcare field. All right, so I have mentioned a few times already the word prevention. Prevent, prevent, prevent. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I first heard that when I was in grad school and I first learned, you know, when I was first learning about healthcare and, 
you know, how to become an athletic trainer. And now I didn't truly understand it then. And it took me a long time to really utilize prevention, not only for myself, but for my athletes. It took years, years of, of study. It's hard work, but perspective is everything when creating a foundation to any approach in life. If you build your house on soft ground, it will crumble. But if you build a foundation on rock, that house has the potential to stand the test of time. So if you come from the perspective of healing after a disease has established itself, eh, you've already lost. But now if you come in with the perspective of prevention, then you're on to something. Now, throughout my athletic training career, as an, uh, I, I focused my energy, as I said, and workload on injury prevention. And this meant a lot of learning and teaching on my part. It all began when I began my own personal healing journey 10 years ago. I had just finished a physical, which to a point I failed. You know, I had blood work done and, you know, a nurse calls from my doctor's office. And they wanted to start me on some sort of blood pressure medication and, you know, I think she said fish oil pills. And this was a huge wake-up call, to say the least for me. I felt as an athletic trainer, I should be walking the walk that if I needed, if, that I needed to be healthy if I was going to ask my athletes to take care of themselves and for them to be healthy as well. You know, this is when I began down the path of doing the exact opposite of what the health society was telling us to do and this uh, the reason for this is pretty simple you know the research into prevention began to fly in the face of conventional thinking it began with mobility and the introduction to coach uh yeah coach and a pt i'm sorry the introduction to mobility began with the couch stretch. I need to read my own handwriting better. The couch stretch, which I called the wall stretch throughout my career. You can ask any one of my athletes. To which there was an athlete once that said the, the wall stretch saved his life. Because I remember how bad he was when he first got to me. And then near the end and then into you know, college, it's like, wow, this changed his life. Healed it. But it started with a PT CrossFit coach by the name of Kelly Sturette. Now, if you don't know who Kelly Starrett is, go look up the Ready State. You know, whatever platform you use, you know, Instagram. Uh, I'm sure he's on Facebook. You know, and just simply listen to not only the topic at hand, but the way he discusses anything else obliquely. Now, he, through his teachings, you know, at the time I began to implement these preventative techniques into not only my workouts, but in how I treated my athletes. You know, but he, he would be able to take a topic, but then throw other things in, such as nutrition, such as your, your mindset, you know, such as if you had a shit day, are you still trying to push when your body might not be able to? He had a huge impact on my life. You know, and I just started watching him on, you know, YouTube videos until he eventually started a website called Mobility Wad, which was free at the time. And then eventually, you know, you had to pay and, and I did and, you know, it changed my life. Because he actually, after the mobility stuff, the, the couch stretch, the wall stretch, you know, I started working on every other joint and learning how it was restricted. Because mobility is about movement of joints. And if the joint can move appropriately throughout a free, full free range of motion, the muscles, for the most part, will follow relatively easily. So you don't have to necessarily stretch in that old school way of thinking. Now, yeah, there's some aspect to you know doing yoga and uh, stretching, but... The joint has to be able to move first. And that, that was one of his rules. And one of the things I used in my career was if it's not moving, get it moving first. Because once the joint's moving, then you can go through a range of motion. And then you can work on the restriction within the muscle. You know, and, and, and muscle and fascial restriction, you can make the argument and the theory that, you know, say something's restricted over your core, that just happens to be over top of your liver and you, know, you end up with liver cancer. Well... The fascial system is just a giant computer network that it, it signals faster than your nervous system because it not only has to, de has to determine 
you know, how, how the body feels and, and you know, the, it, it has to determine where it is in space. So how fast do you have to think when you're moving at a high rate of speed to pick your foot up, to put it back down appropriately every single time so you don't fall over and destroy yourself? It potentially signals faster than your nervous system. You know, and I remember a buddy, they were doing a dissection, uh, a cadaver lab, and they found, their, well, actually the body that they had, they were told, hey, you know, this person had liver cancer, and they died from it. And they noticed that over top of the liver, the whole fascial system was just tacked down and locked. You know, and under you die or under um, dissection, you can tell the fascial system is almost like dried out chicken, that it's just brittle. You know, and that's not how our tissues are supposed to be. Our tissues are supposed to be fluid. You know, so that's another theory that maybe restriction over organs leads to cancer. Another another topic to di- uh, to dive into it at some point, but. The best part about this time in my career is Bard College was a great environment to use as a laboratory to learn how to keep athletes healthy and participate in all practices and competitions. You know, one of the big things I learned near the end of my time at Bard College was how ice, ice is not beneficial for injuries. And even the the creator of RICE, which is the Rest Ice Compression Elevation, that doctor, I can't even remember his name, came out and said that it was wrong. And part of the reason that athletic trainers used it is because it was easy. It was on the sideline. You could grab it. Hey, you're, you're hurting. Here, throw some ice on it. And it went from, wow, you're hurting from when you got off the field to, well, we'll ice after. And now we're going to ice every 20 minutes. Now we're going it, to, it backflows the natural inflammation process. Inflammation isn't a bad thing in the body. The waste byproduct is. So you've got three major tubular systems. You've got your arteries, your veins, and your lymphatics. Arteries pushes blood away from the heart. Veins bring blood back to the heart. And the lymphatics brings back other fluid, such as waste. Now, waste is a byproduct of the breakdown of tissue at, say, an injury site. That once an injury occurs, inflammation, no matter what you do, I don't care if you take medicine, you ice, as soon as you stop doing those things, inflammation will automatically start because it's the body's natural way of healing. Now, you have an insult, you have an injury, and blood starts going there. It takes all these white blood cells, and they're like, hey, we got to clean up this area. Well, they start grabbing all the, the junk, the, the debris, and they try to go back into the capillary system. Well, they can't, or they go back into the veins because they can't go through the capillary system because the capillaries are too small. The openings, the, the fenestrations, the windows, that's actually a German term, fenster. Das Fenster is window in German. The fenestrations in, in capillaries are too small for the the you know, immune system to go back into. So it has to be uptaked, uptaken, whatever the right term is there, by the lymphatics. Because lymphatics has larger openings. So lymphatics, they don't have any muscles within their tubes where arteries and veins do. So how does lymphatics work? How does lymphatics work? Through a muscle pumping action, such that you squeeze a muscle, your lymphatic tubule gets squeezed and it basically is like you're milking a cow. You're, you're milking that vein upwards, downwards, whatever position, direction you want to go. So ice actually backflows that. It stops the inflammation process. And then once the body realizes, wait, okay, we, we've, we're not inhibited anymore, uh, send even more. So it creates even worse. So again, stop icing if you're still doing that, which I can't, I don't know why people still would be at this time, day and age. But, you know, you, old school myths are hard to remedy such that anybody that's seen the first Beverly Hills Cop movie, there's a quote about red meat and it being undigested in a, a digestive tract. And we're not talking nutrition just yet, but we will. And that's one of the biggest lies known to man. But Kelly Sturette was interviewing uh, a guy by the name of Gary Reinel. Uh, and Gary Reinel was the first guy that it made this uh, uh, evident to me. And it made sense. And that's the thing is, I, if you do enough research and you learn enough things, you can put together two plus two a lot easier in whatever field you're in, whether it is the field of study that you focused on for years or something you branch out into, that it makes it easier. You see the forest for the trees. And as soon as he did that, I completely changed. Same thing with the couch stretch. Like it, it, Kelly Sturette changed my life and my career path and helped me so much and helped my athletes. 
So let's take a look. Yeah, I kind of went off there on a tangent for a minute, but let's take a look at prevention truly means because you know this is where we're getting into that that aspect. You know, to prevent is to keep from occurring, avert, to hinder or stop from doing something, to act ahead of, foretell, to anticipate. Again, it's a verb; it's an action. You know, you have to you have to put in work to make sure that that insult, that injury, does not occur. So again, it's a verb, such as movement, as the move is just a verb. To prevent and to be healthy through movement requires action. You know, I do enjoy, you know, part of the definition of, you know, foretell or to anticipate. Because prevention is the act of preventing injuries, which means you have to foretell what injuries or illnesses will occur. Well, then that bodes the question of, there are thousands of different ways that we can be insulted in the human body. And I've said it a couple of times, but for your in- info, insult is just a medical term, which means a physical or mental injury or illness. You know, but how do you prevent any number of a thousand different things? To do this, you must determine the deep why of why an insult occurs. You, have to be, you basically have to discover the deep root cause. Such that let's take a, an example. Non-contact ACL injuries are, are massive in the sports medicine world, and you know surgeons love them because it keeps them in fucking business. You know, but we have to look at why does this occur? And for me, my reason is navicular drop. And this is, there's a bone in the foot which is called the navicular, and when it's touching the ground, it puts the knee into a valgus angle. And then if you have to turn once your knee is into that position, pop goes the weasel. Done. Now, there are other aspects to why this is happening, potentially fallen arches, weak glutes, you know, unlearned jumping, landing, running patterns, you know, because we don't run, land, jump anymore. We sit at a desk all day, you know, especially starting at childhood at, you know, first grade, you're sitting all day and then you're expected to, you know, for an hour or two, go out and run around at a practice and know how to run. No, no, that's not how it works. That's where, again, standing desks are better than seated desks but not having to be inside and at a desk is better, period. Again, nature. So the quick fix by the medical community in this aspect would just be put an arch into a person's shoe. But did that remedy the biomechanical issues that we just mentioned? Did it resolve the muscle weakness in the glutes? Or the fact that the arches are weak themselves, which you can strengthen an arch to stand on the balls of your feet with your heels off the ground by about an inch? And stand there for two, three, four, five minutes at a time. Squeeze your butt. And all of a sudden, over time, you're going to heal and strengthen your entire lower biomechanical chain. You know, the medical community, for a number of reasons, you know, this is like putting a you know, Band-Aid on a bullet wound. She didn't correct the problem. You just bolstered it up with something that you thought would help it. You know, so we didn't take care of the deep why for the injury. Now, think about this injury. This is just an ACL. Think about all the other injuries and illnesses that are out there and put in the work that's necessary to try to prevent them. You know, there's so many issues such as autisms, cancers, or even a really good taboo one, childhood cancers. How much work do you need to go into to figure this out? Just do it as a thought experiment. It takes learning about everything there is to know about the human body from every perspective known to man. It's the only way that we can truly figure out the deep root causes, the deep whys. Now, I'm thankful because I've, I've done it just because I'm, I'm intrigued. I just want to know. I just, as I said, I'm searching for truth. I want to know truth. But within the medical community, this is almost impossible because most practitioners or tunnel vision within their respective fields, not, not as a fault of their own, but because of how the medical community teaches and sets it up. You, know, you got a PT. They only do the PT stuff. they got a surgeon who cuts, they, which you know, surgeons think they know everything. And when you're doing physical therapy or athletic training underneath a, a physician, they will give you all their you know, guidelines on how to heal. And it's just some of the stuff I saw, I just, okay, yep, we'll do that. And then I go and do the exact opposite because I know it's going to be more beneficial for an athlete and, you know, it is what it was. You know, you had to, and that's where, again, I, I'm done with the medical field in the way it's set up. I don't want to be a part of it anymore. You know, and that's why I've moved away from it because I moved away from it within my own career. You know, I was already doing things that were 
quote-unquote, illegal. But again, the, these medical professionals, they got tunnel vision. And on top of that, they're bogged down, you know, with patients that just, it, it doesn't stop. You know, on top of that, you know, they're backed into a corner by coding, ICD-9 codes, which is how they code injuries and diagnose uh, disorders and disease and then all the PT codes and this and that and the paperwork. And, well, so, so when we have practitioners, they have no time or energy to put in not only the work to learn, you know, all that they must, but then, you know, how can they implement all of this in a medical system that's set up for profit? They cannot. Truly to a point, you know, this is when I make the argument that you must not be a, you must be fanatical about all of this in any field you are in, in a part of your life. And for that, for me, that was walking the walk. You know, I had to be that person that, that knew it all and then implemented it. That I wasn't just a fat, lazy athletic trainer that smoked and did this and that and, you know, told an athlete, you got to do this, but over here I can't get out of, you know, bed in the morning because I got back problems. No. Walk the walk. Got to be fanatical. And that's where I used to be so fanatical with how I moved. And, and I am to a point still, but it's second nature now. It's not, oh, I got to think about squeezing my butt, put my foot down appropriately. At first, when I had to reteach myself, which I did, you know, 10 years ago, Nine years ago, I'd think about it before I even did a squat, a loaded squat in a squat rack. Squeeze your butt, you know, turn your, uh, screw your uh, feet in through your legs from your hips so you create an arch, so three points of contact in your foot, you know, tracking the knees over to the toes, setting the the glutes as you go down. There's a thousand things to think about, but we're not taught that. At least, again, I, I don't know how things are necessarily set up in, you know, schools, Although I have some you know, buddies with kids in school that they, they, they're not PE. They play sports. And what's the focus of the sport? The game, not health. So again, what are we truly doing? So my ultimate goal throughout my career, which extended to my own life, was and still is prevention. Now, yes, this requires hard work and dedication and fanaticism to a point, And it takes willpower. You know, but on the other side, it's so worth it. That movement as a medicinal approach at its core is preventative medicine. It's taking all the factors, rolling them into a giant bundle and deciphering what symptoms or what system or path is going to work best. And I'll elaborate more on, on that and the movement as medicine as we progress through this podcast and create more episodes on, you know, my own injuries and, and, you know, perspectives of how the human body should move. This is just that intro, you know, but I've been an an experiment of N of one, you know, that's, that's a term utilized in the carnivore community. You know, be an experiment. Eat just meat and water and see what happens. Don't just listen to the powers that be. Now, the goal is to share all these results because I've discovered the cheat codes to life. I really have in, in almost every aspect. You know, and the most efficient way of healing and doing the most dif- difficult tasks quickly, whether it be physically, mentally, or spiritually. And that's why I'm creating this podcast and sharing my musings. So that's an overlay of movement as preventative medicine. Our time has come. <laughs> Love that line. I feel our time has come. Our time has come to discuss the Bible, which again I discussed God a little bit earlier, you know, as it you know it pertained to meditation and and how we view ourselves and and utilizing tools that if we put ourselves on a pedestal, what we're we really doing. So again, I'm searching for God and I'm searching for for God and how I'm supposed to utilize Him through all of this because it's. It's unique being part of modern society and, and wanting to be Christian and follow God and Jesus. And, you know, that's where I'm searching for my tribe. You know, so what does the Bible have to say about, say, medicine? You know, prayer is the best medicine. You know, Brent Franklin said it. God heals, but the doctor accepts the fee. It's interesting. The Bible discusses many, or the Bible discusses healing in many places. 
you know, throughout its narrative. You know, with the brunt coming from Jesus in the Gospels. That even after Jesus left this physical plane, his name will drive out demons. That it's still being used to, to create miracles around the world. That even when he was here, he was healing left and right. And it, it said, and sorry, I forget which book, but it said, you know, Jesus healed many and their stories weren't in the book. I, I got to look that up. But there's a book in the Bible. That's how it ends. That Jesus healed many, many, and many other stories that you know, are not shared here. You know, he was and still is the greatest healer of all time. And I'm thankful to follow in his footsteps because I, I feel I am a healer. That you know, my life has been one of wanting to help others and show other their own, others their own health. You know, something you do have to remember, though, that as a healer, you have, to, you have to look at a patient and be like, hey, does this person want to heal? Because if they don't want to heal, they'll, they'll stay with that forever. Because a lot of people do become attached to their disease, their illness, their issue. Ask yourself that before you do delve into becoming more of a healer and a helper. Whether it is a healer, even just help somebody. A lot of people don't want to be helped because they're addicted to what their life is. They don't want to change. They're more afraid of change than they are of letting go of the thing that's causing them pain. So Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. And we'll do 20 through 23 first, and then we'll talk about 24. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, let's take a look at those first three lines. You know, first it says, turn your ear. So in essence, you know, we have to move towards God's word to hear it and to be healed. You've got to move. You know, do not let, or do not let them, the word, out of your sight. This equates to prevention, protecting the word. You prevent ills to come in or to have somebody take it and misconstrue them. You, know, you have to keep it within your heart. You know, our heart pumps blood throughout the entirety of our body. So we're being fortified by the word of God. If we take it in, we turn, we listen, and we put it into our heart. And blood, which is just water, is the, is the frequency of life. You know, the living waters. Now, if you look into healing frequencies, such as 432 hertz, you, know, you play music with that, it, it can potentially change your life. And when you start to delve into some of our history and history of medicine from an alternative standpoint, you know, there's some things that you look at sound and water and how it was used potentially in the past in ancient cathedrals, which that's another interesting term, cathedral. Well, there's a root, term, root word in there, cathode, which is a part of an electromagnetic system. We are electromagnets us as humans. So if we have a frequency of negativity and hate and violence, you know, our body, which is made up of water, is not going to flow properly. And we'll talk about living water in the shape of, of snowflakes and what water can do when you put certain music through it later, but just know that water is alive more than you can imagine. You know, guard your heart. Got to protect and prevent. And then that last line, for everything you do flows from it. Flow. Not only is it a movement term, it's an action, but when you get into the state of flow, you know, such as I kind of am feeling in this episode, like I, I'm sitting here thinking about it as I'm you know, reading off of my notes, which is sort of scripted, but then you know, letting stuff come off my tongue. I'm in a little bit of flow right now. It feels good. I'm moving. I'm, I'm letting energy move through me and sharing that energy to the world. Movement heals, man. It's in the Bible. Luke 10, 33 and 34. Jesus said, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. 
nature, oil and wine, to heal the body. You know, so he, he picked him up. He couldn't just stay there. He had to move from that spot. You've got to pick yourself up from where you're wounded and move. If you, if you sprain your ankle and you're in the Serengeti, you know, and you're part of a native tribe before whatever we want to consider modern civilization, if you're just like, nah, man, I'm done, that cheetah going to get you. You're done. You have to keep moving. It's how you heal. Now, again, we'll get into movement with injuries and, you know, pain and all that. But you got to get up. Jesus will pick you up. He will give you the strength and the power. And this next one's a little personal to me. Because it's titled The Calling of Matthew. And my name is Matthew. I feel very fortunate to have that name and, and to now come into that name more so than I have ever in my entire life. That I know I'm a gift from God so that I can give to others. And that's it. it has nothing to do about my own ego or being put up on a pedestal. Yeah, in a locked closet, you know, behind closed doors. Feels good to have that name. But I need to put that to good use. So Matthew 9, 9, as Jesus went up from here, he saw a man named Levi, Matthew, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed. Follow, movement, get up, move. Follow your heart, especially when your heart's been transformed by God. Jeremiah 17, 10. Let it be transformed by God and follow his words. Your life will become glorious. And I have to remember that because right now I'm struggling with patience because, you know, I'm going to get into what I talked about um, or what I discovered was a 26-year journey of mine you know, that I'll detail in a later episode. But I went on a 26-year journey that, man, that didn't happen overnight. You know, right now I'm spending time with my dad after being away from him for... Basically, since leaving, go to college. You know, you leave college and or you go to college after high school or whatever you do after high school and life changes. After college, I went to grad school up in Jersey. wasn't really around my dad. You know, I went and did athletic training. really wasn't around him. Went and did professional hockey. That's when you're really not around anybody. But I've been with him for about a month now and you know, it's starting to, I'm like, man, what, I got to do something. I got to do something. That's yeah, okay, man. Because even my dad has said, he's like, Matt, thank you for all the little things you do. It means a lot to me. And those little things, which to me, they're little things. Taking food up the stairs to my stepmom because she's in dialysis and helping do that because dad going up and down the stairs is getting harder for him. To me, it's like, cool. I turn around, I walk backwards because that's another way to help, you know, load your hips and move, use movement as medicine. We'll talk about backwards walking and running and stairs and all that. But, you know, I got to remind, remind myself and, you know, even right now, it's actually making me feel a little better reminding myself that, hey, Matt, You're here doing something for others that, yes, it might not be a lot to you, but it's the world to them. So have patience, but get up and follow your heart. You must pick up your cross and move with Jesus in your heart. For this power given to you through the Holy Spirit will heal you and many others. You must move, though. You must interact and give of yourself. You cannot sit idly by hoping for change. You must encourage change by taking steps. Little ones if you must, but steps you will. Such that I'm making this podcast, taking steps. Who knows what this will become? Who knows if, you know, this will, who knows? I don't even want to, I'm not even going to try to speculate. So the last verse, or last verses we come to, John 5, verses 6 through 9. When Jesus saw him lying there and, and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Sometimes we do need a little encouragement in this life. But with faith and belief, with a helping hand, we can all get up and walk. That through our own movements in life, we will heal ourselves. That having faith in Jesus and in God and the Holy Spirit within ourselves will be healthy. That we will become the individual that God has always intended us to be. But you got to get up. you got to move. 
can't just sit still. You got to want to become something you're not. Because right now, if you're unhappy, now if you're happy and you're satisfied and your life is perfect, hey, cool. But there is no perfection in this life. There is still something that you can become better at. So I challenge you. Get up, move, prevent. Learn a skill that maybe you don't even know that, say for myself, I I knew I always enjoyed language. But I never learned another language. But I knew I, I enjoyed it and could and played with it, you know, here and there. Tried to pick up, you know, German after taking it in school. Tried to pick up Greek, you know, played with um, Spanish a little bit. Did I play with Spanish? I don't know. But then eventually, a situation arose where I was able to learn Portuguese. You know, eu aprendo portuguese. Because I worked at a company that had a lot of Brazilians and I eventually became a supervisor and I was like, you know what? I could talk to them in English, which I did to a point which helped them. But I also knew that they would respect me if I attempted to learn Portuguese. And I just paid attention. I learned. I learned a word or two each day and would then use it. And yes, I probably sounded like a little baby, you know, trying to learn a new language. But that's what learning a new language is. You have to forget all the rules. Forget all the judgments. And you never know where that new skill will lead you. Get up, move, learn something new, implement it, utilize it. For we're meant to be so great and live in such harmony on this planet, whatever this realm may be. Now, yes, there is a lot of suffering. And through suffering, as I said earlier, comes comfort. But we can't just accept comfort right off the bat. We have to work. We have to put in the time. But even this podcast, which is pages and pages of notes and and me writing out my thoughts, it takes time to create this. It takes work. So have patience. Remind yourself that you're doing really well today. Get up. Move. Prevent. And become who you're intended to become. And I, I thank each and every one of you guys, whoever does listen to this, whether it's one person or a million, I at least did better than nothing. So, I love each and every one of you guys. Have a phenomenal afternoon.